This is Coaches to the Moon, the only podcast you need to skyrocket your coaching business and create true impact on the world. Here's your host, Alex Morris. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with Joel Hines for the Coaches to the Moon podcast. He's heading up the Man Cave Academy. It's a non-for-profit organization running workshops for teenage boys and teachers alike across Australia. And uh, he's here today to talk about his huge range of experience teaching and training both kids and adults and uh, how he and his team have adapted to running these trainings all in a virtual landscape. Joel, thanks so much for being here, mate. Thanks, Alex, for having me. Really, you know, excited to be here. Well, well, hopefully I can live up to the excitement and make it worth your while, but I'm really excited to have you here. We've done some work together and uh, I know you're an all-round good dude. (laughs) So uh, really, really keen to get started. So we're going to throw things back at the beginning and I'd love to get started off to when you were a a principal at Dalesford Dharma School, which, uh, as I believe, is the first school, primary school in Australia to live off Buddhist principles of kindness and compassion. So when it comes to educating kids, uh, how do you believe that those Buddhist essentials like kindness and compassion uh, can be integrated with the academic side? And is that something you think we need more of? Mm, Great question. Um, I think uh, the first thing to say is that I think uh, they're necessary. They're necessary first before the learning actually begins. And um, what I've found through my experience working with, with, you know, kids of all ages from, you know, young ones at, at sort of prep level all the way through to uh, teenagehood and, and year 12s and the like is that if they're not emotionally regulated, then they're not going to learn anyway. And, and so this key idea for me is about building relationship, building safety and trust with the educators and then feeling like there's a platform, a stable platform with which to learn from. So if we approach that with kindness and compassion, um, then the kids are going to be more likely to respond to that. And and for me, that was probably one of the key things when I was at the school of, of sort of building that relationship. As a principal, like quite often I would get the kids that were, you know, having a hard time in class, you know. And, and so one of the, um, I guess, the, the approaches that I took is if they're having a really hard time, I mean, these are like young kids, you know, up to sort of 11, 12 years old. Um, my, my first instinct was, you know, usually to uh, take them for a walk down to the Oval. And I found with boys in particular, like just walking side by side each other um, is a lot less threatening than having this sort of face-to-face one-on-one. It's like, why are you doing this? What's going on? And this kind of grilling um, that sense of actually just saying, hey, man, like, I'd just like to understand what's going on for you. Let's go for a bit of a walk and, and just sort of, you know, just enjoy the sunshine for a bit. Are you up for that? And then, you know, quite often the boys would go, yeah, that sounds great. And then about halfway down to the Oval, it's then like, so what was going on for you in the classroom? You know, uh, looked like you were having a bit of a hard time. So, again, that compassion, that empathy um, opens them up to the point where they can actually say, I just found it really difficult. Uh, you know, this mass thing, I, I just, it doesn't work in my head or, you know, I just, I feel really um, challenged by it, you know, and, and I don't know what happens inside me. 
Um, and so for me, that that's that emotional regulation. If that's not there, then the message isn't actually getting through to our upstairs brain. You know, a, a, a great neurobiologist, uh, Dan Siegel, sort of talks about upstairs brain and downstairs brain. And the downstairs brain being sort of more that primitive kind of flight, fight, freeze kind of response. And then the, the, the neocortex up the top and the upstairs brain is where we do our thinking and our learning. And if we're activating the downstairs brain, it's almost like there's a barrier across the stairs, you know, and you can't actually get up. And so the messages aren't actually getting through. Um, so how do we break that? We're going to break that cycle. And, and for me, kindness and compassion and sort of building relationship and empathizing with them was how I approached it. So where does discipline come in, in terms of actually when a line is crossed, telling a kid off and getting him to change his behavior when kindness and compassion are your go-to tactics? Well, yeah, it's a great question and, and one that parents would often ask when they were coming to interview for the school and find out a little bit more about the school. Um, compassion doesn't mean just being nice. You know, there's such there's this term that a, a great um, Buddhist educator kind of in, in, enlightened me on, um, a term called robust compassion. So we can come from that place of, you know, wanting them to um, be free from suffering, wanting them to, you know, experience kindness and, and, and all that love that you're sending them. But at the same time, there's kind of, you know, boundaries in place and we've got to meet with those boundaries and work within them. And so quite often it's talking about consequences. So and, and getting them to empathize with what those consequences might be as well. So, you know, part of that conversation, like I was saying, so the example of a boy, you know, heading down to the Oval and, and, and sort of talking through, I'd ask the question, like, what would do you think would the impact be of the rest of the class or even your teacher when you're acting like that? You know, I get that it was really difficult for you, but what do you think the consequence of that might be? And quite often they would come up with the sense of, oh, I think that would be a little bit frustrating. I, I can know my classmates, you know, they get a little bit upset and I can understand why. And, I, and if I was the teacher, I could probably see that too, like I could probably be. And so I'd say, well, what do you think needs to happen now? You know, and then, well, A, I need to change things or I need to make a different choice. And B, I should probably say sorry to my class and my teacher, you know. So there's that sense of um, understanding the consequences and getting them almost to come up with it rather than telling them what to do or telling them how to be, if it comes from their mouth, it's a lot more powerful and then they own it a lot more. Super well put. Yeah, and that's a, a very cool question because I wanted to start with your knowledge of teaching kids because that's not really relevant to this podcast and the audience, but what is is a way of dealing with people. And a lot of the people listening to this podcast are small business owners uh, mostly coaches and you're somewhat of a coach yourself and a lot of coaches out there, myself included, they're in that space where we have maybe one or two team members younger than us, uh, just kind of helping us out with stuff. And a lot of us are quite, you know, what we consider to be personally developed, pretty friendly, pretty patient people. Um, but how do business owners start to approach their team with that same level of kindness and compassion, do you think? Yeah, I, I think uh, the same sort of rules apply in many ways. And, and like, it's interesting you touch on the coaching aspect, Alex, And because I'm not sure if we've had this conversation, but um, I started out part of my career working in mental health. 
And then from there, I moved into personal training. So I, I've actually been in that kind of more coaching kind of role pretty much in consistently throughout most of the roles I've had in life. And I think um, when I've um, been in those sort of one-on-one -on -one coaching environments, it's exactly the same as if I'm working with someone who's a direct report in, a, in a, an employee relationship. And, and I think it's about a, one of understanding where they're coming from and what's going on. Uh, and talking it through, you know, like I, I think it's it's like really trying to ask good questions rather than uh, projecting or, or or thinking about what, um, you know, your own interpretation of what might be going on for the other person. So, I mean, I think perfecting good questions is is probably, you know, the art or the or the experience that I've sort of, you know, uh, developed over time. And, and, and it's really sort of like being able to sort of empathise and understand but at the same time ask really good questions that makes them think and respond in such a way that um, they've almost got all the answers. And I feel like in a mentoring or a coaching relationship, that's what tends to work best for me is when they come up with the answers. I also think like um, from my own experience being like, you know, whether it be going to therapy or going to see a coach or going to see sort of, you know, a, a mentor or any, any sorts of thing, quite often it's just been given the space to think about it. And, and quite often through talking it through and talking it out, I come up with the answers myself. And so I guess that's how I kind of approach that when I'm in the other side, you know, when I'm in that sort of more coaching role or mentoring role. It's a big concept. A lot of coaches in this space, they've done NLP, NLP trainings. And a big concept of NLP is that everyone has their answers in their own head, but they're closed off and we don't want to accept them. So asking those questions uh, where someone says, oh, I don't know the answer. And you say, well, if you did know the answer, what would it be? And they're like, oh, probably this. And so people actually do have a lot more answers. So you think that um, in terms of a staff member, team member screws up, does something poorly, instead of you've done that poorly, saying, how could we have done that better? Yeah, or, or not even better. Like, how could we have done that differently? And what mm. would be the what would be the outcome if we did it differently? Um, and and maybe getting that action point for me, actions is a really important thing. And and through a lot of the work that I've done, um, both in you know personally and also professionally, it's like it's great to go through some sort of transformation or go through some sort of coaching relationship. But if there's no tangible action after the after the, the session then what's it all for? And so quite often in those relationships, I'd come up with, well, what's three things you could try differently? And, you know, going right back to the primary school, there was the same approach there. It was like, you know, if, if there was a sort of a fight on, in, on the Oval or something like that, you know, you got to the point that like what he said really upset me. I said, all right, well, what time, what, if, if you got really upset, what's three different things that you could have done rather than using your body? And then they say, oh, I could walk away. I could go and speak to a teacher. I could take a few deep breaths. You know, the same for an employee. It's like, okay, we both agree that whatever happened, whatever transpired, you know, didn't work out the best for you, for me, or for, or for the client. What's three things that we could do differently next time? And it's almost like that imprinting into their minds as to, or, or almost like rehearsing, practicing what an alternative approach might be. Super valuable, super valuable. I've struggled in the past a lot with that when I had my cafe of being potentially too nice until the point where I was suddenly not nice. And there's a, a great bridge there that definitely comes with experience. And uh, that's why I find you such an interesting person to talk to because you've worked across a range of ages, all the way from, what, six years old to 
you know, professional environments. So that's really, really cool. And I did know you were coaching and I'd love to uh, touch on quickly your, I couldn't find anything about it, but on LinkedIn, it says that you're also working for your own business, being human. Talk to me about being human. Yeah, so being human sort of been born out of the last sort of 12, 18 months and and it's kind of a a bringing together of a lot of different things. But for me, uh, there are three main uh, things that all humans want and that's connection, uh, belonging and community. And for me, I wanted to, um, I guess where I have really got a passion for is providing the environments or the experiences where people can have those things. And um, a a lot of my work in the last sort of five years has been around rites of passage and actually working through transformational personal development kind of processes. And I'm fascinated and passionate about the, the, you know, small groups having an experience where within a couple of hours, they feel like they know each other on a deeper level, feel like they're they're accepted for who they are. And that's that belonging piece. And then um, have a community of support to, you know, know, move forward, you know, after that. And so being human is about creating those experiences. So whether that's sort of like a one-day workshop through to a retreat um, you know, I'm starting to sort of experiment with online sort of programs now because, you know, it, it's, you know, obviously the way uh, that the world is in right now is like we have to be flexible and adaptable. So how can we provide those opportunities for connection, belonging and community, even in an online virtual environment? And that, you know, can, you know, feels like there's a blocker there. There's like, because me, I'm, I'm like, I'd, I'd love to be in the same room as people. I love to sort of feel that energy of the whole group. Um, but I've been able to recreate some of that in some of the online experiences that I've had, um, you know, particularly over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I, I see that, that it's not a replacement, but it can actually be done if it's done really well. Super, super perfect segue. And I'm glad to hear that you're managing to adapt a little bit because your day job at the Man Cave, you and the rest of the Man Cave team, for context uh, to everyone listening, non-for-profit organization working with teenage boys in schools. Uh, You've uh, had to make some massive changes over the past year from running workshops and seminars on site in schools to now creating your digital products. So as an ex-teacher, as a guy who is experienced in tech and is running his own online workshops, do you think there are actually some silver linings to all the virtual learning we're having to do these days? I think the biggest silver lining that's come out of it for me is it's become acceptable. You know, like it, it, it used to be, you know, that thing, oh, we'll do it if we have to kind of thing. And, and, and I think people are a lot more comfortable with it now um, and there's a, a lot more acceptance of it. So I think that there is that. But I think what comes with that is um, sort of uh, protocols and practices in order to make it a good experience. Um, I'm blessed to be in an organisation that um, really embraces that sense of connection and, and being, being you know, on the screen with everyone is a form of connection. Um, you know, I'm amazed, I was amazed to hear that in a lot of other organisations that quite often their Zoom calls, people don't have their cameras on. And for me, I couldn't quite understand that. Mm. Um, in our organisation, like everyone's got their camera on. There's, the, the only reason they'd be off is if they had to sort of step out for a second or something like that. Um, for me, it's again comes back to those principles, you know, of, of finding ways to connect in this environment that we find ourselves in, and a, a virtual online environment, you know, to be on a video call with people, is is an option that we didn't have, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, so, you know, I think there's a great silver lining in it that it's almost like the technology has moved with the world context, 
and it's completely relevant right now and you know it makes it acceptable it, imagine if we didn't have zoom and facetime and all the rest of it you know what where would we be um, you know, it'd be an interesting situation to be in right now uh, if we didn't have all those things. So it's just interesting to think about how those two things have kind of appeared at the same time, uh, you know, and and completely relevantly. Yeah, yeah, more isolated but more connected than ever. It's a funny, funny, weirdly serendipitous thing. I'm sure you could get into some sort of conspiracy theory about Bill Gates owning Zoom or <laughs> and creating the whole thing. But now really interesting talking about connection and having people on camera, that sort of thing. Because uh, I know there's a lot of coaches out there who, you know, maybe they're not as established and experienced in business as yourself. And so they're in that kind of like first year, maybe they rely on daily workshops or a retreat and now they're struggling to get that connection online with clients is there anything that you believe people can do to still create a great experience um so so once they're actually in those sessions or or yeah. before that yeah once they're in say you and i are speaking right now and we get along pretty well we've known each other for you know a few months now first day and sorry to put you on the spot here first day with a new client i've got to connect with this person is there anything you think would work really well for a sort of less confident coach out there? Uh, I think for me that it, it comes, and I, I guess I'm biased based on my own experience, but but personal story is is probably the most uh, valuable tool in terms of um, building connection and relationship quickly. And so for me, it would be role modeling that as the coach. I would sort of sort of say, look, I just want to let you know a little bit about me. This is sort of some experiences that I've had. And then asking the question of them. Once you've got them talking, then they're in a position of sort of comfortability and power. It's almost like, um, you know, like they, they can have that opportunity to actually open that space. But you've got to kind of open that space for them in a way by role modeling um, what it is that you're after. So I think one of the great things about our relationship is like it's always like, you know, we make a point of saying, how, how are you going? what's been happening lately you know it's almost like at, at the man cave what we do is what a check-in and a check-in is really an opportunity for everyone that's on the call if there's sort of 10 15 on the call each person gets an opportunity to sort of say how they are in this moment and what's been going on for them so they can be actually really present to the call um and and i think that just that little process sort of like almost like clears some of the mud out and kind of makes feel comfortable people feel comfortable in group calls like so group situations if i was doing like a group like an online workshop or something like that you know playing a game like you know having a bit of fun and, and a bit of laughter just sort of like takes the edge off it's the same principles if you're in a room with someone or in a room with a small group how can you break that energy of like oh i'm not sure you know i'm not sure why i'm here and like i feel really self-conscious talking and all this sort of stuff break all that out just by having a bit of fun. So story and play are my two go-tos in terms of building relationship quickly and, and early uh, in order to open that space for some of the deeper work that needs to happen. Some really amazing, tangible advice there. Thank you very much. I think that's going to be hugely helpful for people who maybe make their offers via a webinar or a workshop online, that sort of thing, because it can feel very odd, especially if you're staring at a screen full of blank faces so uh let, let's let's go from that to talking about your newest product the man cave academy because while this show isn't really about plugging products you've just relaunched this fully self-paced online program called the art of engaging boys 
Could you give us a quick rundown of that, what that's about? Yeah, so the Man Cave has worked with uh, over 20,000 teenage boys over the last seven years, and, and we've learned a, f- a, few, a fair few things. And our facilitators are really highly trained and uh, experienced in actually drawing out of those boys deeper conversations. So what we ask of the boys is to lower their mask and actually share vulnerably and authentically what's actually going on for them. And as you can imagine for teenage boys, that's not an easy thing you know, for them to do. And so our facilitators are quite talented in being able to draw that out. And so Man Cave Academy was born for the simple reason that we want to be able to share that experience and share the the tools and techniques that we've, um, you know, garnered over those sort of seven years of experience. Because for us, the Man Cave is about impact. You know, it's really about how many boys can we uh, you know, have an impact on. And we're limited with the group of um, facilitators that we have, you know, like if we've got 20 facilitators, we can only run so many workshops. And so Man Cave Academy is that sort of, well, this is our scalability model. This is how can we teach others to do the stuff that we're doing or continue the conversations that we've already opened and started. And so the art of engaging boys really distills down a simple system for people to to actually sort of engage boys on a more practical and meaningful level. So whether you're a teacher, whether you're a youth worker, whether you're a parent, like there's there's stuff in there for for everyone that works or or is in contact with teenagers definitely. I think definitely there's translatable stuff in there for coaches as well. You know, it's it's one of those things like, you know, they're, they're simple skills around how do I show up as an individual? So, you know, what's the self-work that I've done? How, how aware am I and how I show up in a space? Completely relevant for a coach. They've got to have done their own work in order to be in that position to do work with others. Then the second thing is, is around the skills. What are the skills, the tools that we use? in order to actually build those relationships and draw out some of that conversation. So again, that's the same sort of framework for a coach. Like, you know, what are the tools that they use? What are the questions they ask? What are the, you know, sort of the pro forma type things that they they put in place and say, hey, go away and do this or do this reflection activity and come back to me, you know? Um, and then there's the space. And that's the third sort of important part for us. You know, how do we think about the spaces that we're in? So you think you're in a one-on-one relationship with someone doing a coaching sort of session, you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to be sitting in a cafe, you know, because there's going to be people walking around you, there's going to be distractions and whatever. You want to be able to provide your undivided attention to that person that's there on the screen. So how can you provide the environment in your space? You can control that. You can't control the other person, but you can suggest you know, find a quiet room where we can have a one-on-one conversation and um, you're not going to be distracted, somewhere where you can close the door and, and you know, you're not going to have other people coming in. It's the same when we talk about having um, meaningful conversations with teenage boys. Quite often classrooms are set, you know, it's probably the same as it was when you went to school, Alex, you know, like there's there's chairs and tables all lined up in rows, nice little neat fashion, teacher stands at the front. Well, when we come into a space as facilitators, we throw all the tables out, we get chairs and sort of put them in a circle so everyone's kind of looking at each other and at an equal level, including the facilitators. And that provides that sense of, oh, we're safety, but also curiosity. You know, the boys walk into a space like that and they go, oh, this is different. I'm intrigued. What's going to happen today? You know, so like how can we change up that space? So, you know, I guess the, the essence or the framework that we utilise is for our facilitators and what we try and share with educators and youth workers, people who work with young people, is the self, the skills, and then the space. You know, that's, that's our sort of our framework or our model uh, that, that really works for us. 
yeah, I, can, I bet it is working really well. And thanks for kind of relaying that to how it can be appropriate for coaches as well. Cause I, I see a massive correlation between being a traditional teacher or educator and a coach. It's just a new world, right? So apologies for the massive question, but why do you believe it can be so hard to get through to men and boys in a way that allows them to be open, honest, and vulnerable to the tough things going inside their head? Well, the two major blockers I see with young people, and this is, this applies to teenage girls as well, but but also but but mainly to boys, um, and that's probably the majority of my experience and the man cave's experience, um, is fear of judgment and wanting to fit in, and and so fitting in is different to belonging. Belonging is like I'm accepted for who I am. Um, I really love Brene Brown's work on this. You know, like it, it's like you know, I'm here and I fully embrace myself and I want you to embrace me for who I am, you know, like that, that's, that's belonging in my sort of, you know, world. But as a teenager, and you might, you know, think about your experience as a teenager, I certainly know for mine, I did stuff that I'm not proud of in order just to fit in, you know, and, and so there's a sense of what's socially acceptable. And if I do these things, um, will I be accepted? And if I do these other things, I may not be accepted. So I've, I'm fear of being judged there. So those are, to, for me, are those two main blockers in terms of boys or actually authentically, you know, speaking their mind and their truth is because they, they fear that others will judge them and then they won't be accepted. They won't be fit, they won't fit into the group. It's funny how you touched on doing things you're not proud of to fit in because it's kind of the opposite when you grow into an adult, right? Like I, I walked past some graffiti today down by a local park and I thought that's ruined everything. But then it made me think back to a couple of times when I'd done some graffiti as a teenager and that kind of elevated me as a cool dude. But now it can the complete opposite. Uh, wh why do you think uh, teenagers are so drawn to that kind of rebelliousness as a way to be part of the group? Well, I guess uh, for boys in particular, but all teenagers, I think they're, they're, they're wanting to find their identity. You know, they're in that really transition point. And, and we talk about the idea of, of a rite of passage being necessary in order to help them through this process. So, you know, when you're 10, 11 years old through to when you're sort of 16, 17, you're in this in-between stage where, and I, I certainly remember this, I'm not sure if you do, but I remember that sense of feeling like an adult but being treated like a child and sort of really trying to test the limits and the boundaries and trying to work out, well, you know, what am I? What, who, who am I? What do I believe? You know, and I'm trying things on in order to find out whether they fit or not. You know, it's almost like, you know, trying on a hoodie or, or another shirt or a jumper or something. It's like, mm, that's not me, you know, like it, like you're you're trying to find out who it is that you are. And so you're looking to those people that are in your immediate sphere, whether that's sort of older teenagers that are within your sort of social group or at your school. Uh, maybe you're looking at the coaches at the footy club or, you know, like there, there's other people within your life and you're looking at how they manage themselves and then you're trying to trying some of the, those traits on and so you know in terms of the rebellious stuff yeah like there was a mate of mine when i was in year eight who was tagging left right and center and i wanted him to accept me so i started trying to tag myself you know i was no good at it and i made a big mess of it but i tried it on because i, I was like do i want is, is that who i am 
you know, like that's the question I've got in my head as a teenager is like, who am I? Maybe I'll try that and see if that works for me. Yeah, that's a very, very funny point. And then I think we found out obviously that a lot of that stuff didn't work for us because it, that's where we are now. But I dare say that negative experiences actually shape us into hopefully developing into not better people, but, uh, you know, wiser people perhaps. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. And, and, and you know, like uh, all the greatest learning experiences in my time and my life and my experience have been from things that I've, I've mucked up on, you know, mistakes I've made. And, you know, I embrace those mistakes now. It's almost like, oh, goody, I've, I've made a mistake here. What can I learn from this, you know? And, and, and that's what I sort of I, I try and share with my son and with other people that I, I work with is like um, those mistakes are good. They're, they're like how we learn and how we sort of grow. And the pivotal things that you will remember as you get older are when you made that mistake and how you got through it. You know, and that's that's resilience right there is sort of like learning from that mistake and then, you know, next time it happens, being able to adapt and, and do something differently. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, I'm still I'm still young. You're still young. We're all still learning. We've got, still got a, bi- a big road ahead of us. I don't think we'll ever stop learning. But resilience is a very good word and it kind of ties in perfectly to the last question I wanted to ask you today, which is, you know, contextual to what we're all living in at the moment um you're in melbourne i'm in sydney we've been in a pretty perpetual state of lockdown for the last year or so and uh, everyone's pretty over it it is hard to stay positive in these moments you're a pretty positive dude and you're a very positive organization you're working for uh what do you think is such a good thing about people having access to all these positive online courses at the moment when we're stuck at home and do you think that's a great Thing for people to explore if they're feeling a bit unmotivated yeah nice um i think for me and and this this probably you know taps in a little bit in, into why we launched this online product too is is for me part of what i've seen this is an opportunity you know this like um we we talk about going into the dark in order to find the light and and for us um sort of being able to go inward and do some of the self-work it's a great opportunity to do that because how often do we get the opportunity uh, to actually be at home and be present and and have uh, you know maybe a little bit of extra time to de- work on ourselves and to develop? So it's almost like how can we go into the cocoon and do some of that transformative work in order to come out stronger and better uh, and more resilient uh, at the other side? And and so that's really how I've been trying to approach this. Uh, whole experience is like, what can I do? I mean, I've got power over how I approach things and what I do with my time. Um, not to say it's been easy though. Like I, I've had some really low moments, particularly the last couple of weeks. I've just like been really kind of rock bottom with this stuff and just like, you know, what's it all for? And and like, you know, not even really thinking that there's a, there's an end in sight. Do you know what I mean? Like it's been really difficult. Um but I've kind of clawed myself out of that a little bit because I started to question myself. Well, why are you thinking that way? You know, what have you, have you got control over anything out there? No, but what I've got control about is how I approach this and what I do with it. 
So what can I do? And so I started riding my mountain bike again, you know, like and and kind of like getting out in in nature and and exercising. It's sort of like that's something tangible I can do to you know get those endorphins and dopamine kind of going. Um, and then that flows on to other things. And then I picked up the guitar again, you know, like and and I'm I'm st- you know I've had it since I was sixteen, and I go on and off it all the time. But I'm like, no, I'm going to try and learn just one song, and you know I'm starting to sort of work through that. Um, so. It's like piece by piece, but it's like really centering in on what it is that you can do. And so self-development or developing your skills and your experience is something you can do. And online courses are a great way to do that because we can, you know, we've got access to them. Um, We're connected all the time anyway. So, I mean, uh, let me ask you a question. What kind of benefit are you going to get from scrolling your Facebook and Instagram feed? versus spending the same amount of time you did a screen time app thing on your phone and go how much time am i spending on those platforms spend the same amount of time doing an online course imagine the difference in your psychology your makeup your approach uh and the skill base that you'll have after using that sort of time more constructively um you know I, i i definitely sort of think it's an opportunity I had the exact same thought, really beautiful answer, by the way, the exact same thought uh, a few weeks ago, because I love whatever it is. I love a conspiracy theory. I love them, whether it's Paul McCartney's dead or there's aliens in Area 51 or whatever it is. So this year has been a dream for me to go down rabbit holes on my phone. But uh, I do find myself sitting up at night um, kind of with the baby monitor on, while my wife's asleep, waiting for a baby to wake up, scrolling through all this bollocks on the internet. And then I, I stop myself and think that was like 27 minutes of nonsense. And so what I've actually done is I've actually started, um, I've started writing a book uh, to get me off of the internet completely. So I can, <laughs> because whenever Amazing. I'm on it, I, I work on the internet, I work on social media. It's so difficult to disconnect because I can always, you know, convince myself I'm working or researching. Yeah. So I just open up a document and now I just type and I try and just replace all my spare time with creating. And uh, yeah, so if you're a creative person, being able to create rather than consume is a really, really good one. But if you're not, I think there is uh, a lot of really positive content out there that people can look into. And the question I was asked uh by a friend was are you going to come out of the uh the lockdown hunky chunky or drunky and uh <laughs> and i think I'm, I'm going for a little bit of hunky there's definitely an element of, of, of drunky in there but i think it doesn't have to be all those extremes i think just uh working towards a bit of um yeah yeah working towards a bit of extra positivity and self-development knowing that we can come out of this completely uncontrollable thing with an outcome that we've influenced rather than someone else. Yeah. So it's a really, really cool answer, man. And uh, thank you for that one. I'll, I'll give you your plug. Uh, if anyone is interested in learning more about what you do, uh, getting into the Man Cave Academy, helping to develop themselves professionally, or even just as a, a parent, where can they find you? What can they do? Academy.themancave.life is sort of our URL and that's probably the best place to start. Um, and I know you can probably share that link, you know, elsewhere, but that gives you sort of an overview of what it is that we've got on offer um, and, you know, links to the the self-paced online course, if that's something you wanted to sort of dive into 
it's pretty cheap at the moment. We've just relaunched it, um, you know, so, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks, um, but it's well worth the investment. And I think other people that have gone through it have certainly got a lot from it personally as well as professionally uh, and being able to adapt it to their own individual context. Worth noting as well that anything that people invest into your company is funding non-for-profit you know, movements around the country as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, we're a registered charity. So so basically the, the money's not about kind of in, income to make us, you know, fat and happy. It's it's really about uh, investing it back into the programs that we run with teenage boys in particular uh, to have an impact on the next generation of young men. You know, that that's really what it is that we're after is uh, to create a generation of young men that have the tools, have the emotional intelligence to actually approach things in a different way to, you know, some of the things that we see uh, out there in the world at the moment. Um, so, yeah, whatever money you invest in it uh, has a positive impact on the world. Yeah, I think it's more appropriate than ever and a real sense of, you know, we're all in this together and, and we are going to need these skills more than more than we ever have before, you know, coming off the back end of, of all this. So, mate, thank you so much, Joel. That's been a really lovely conversation. I've had a lot of fun. I hope you've uh, enjoyed yourself. <laughs> I have, mate, and it's always a pleasure, uh, Alex, and, and, and I really, um, you know, thank you for inviting me on and, and just, you know, want to acknowledge your skill and expertise and all this too. You've been very uh, humble and just sort of listening to me. I know you've got uh, lots to offer and lots of skills as well there. So, you know, you've certainly been a game changer for us at the Man Cave uh, and, you know, really, you know, just want to acknowledge the, the expertise and the skills you have in this space. It's been incredible to work with you. Oh, well, thank you very much, Joel. What a pleasure. It's a really lovely organization. And I hope to see a lot more of you guys in the future. Uh, but for anyone listening on Spotify, anyone streaming right now, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Coaches to the Moon with another great guest. Joel, thank you once more. Thanks, Alex. And thank you to everyone listening. Much love and peace out. Coaches to the Moon will be back next week. Until then, reach us on Facebook at To The Moon Digital Marketing.